Good day, nerds. This is Megan coming at you with another Cantina Conversation. Today's interview, we're talking to Anthony McGowan. We're talking about his book, Dogs of the Deadlands. It comes out September 13th. Um, this was a really enjoyable book, really easy to, to get through, really easy to get sucked in, um, basically about the Chernobyl disaster and exploring the lives and the survival needs of the dogs, the pets that um, the owners were forced to leave behind. Very interesting concept, uh, tugs at the heartstrings. And today's conversation, we talk about dogs, of course, and I was really cool to hear about um, his insight into the, the amount of research that he did, not only for the Chernobyl incident, but also on the behavior of dogs and their interactions uh, with wolves and everything in between. So without further ado, here is Anthony. We are here today with Anthony McGowan. We're talking about Dogs of the Deadlands. It comes out on September 13th in the U.S. It's already out in the U.K. So thank you, thank you, Anthony, for sitting down to talk with us. This book was really captivating, and I, you know, I... I'm fascinated at how you created such like an engaging story with barely any dialogue. <laughs> so, and I, and yeah. I, I couldn't look at my dog the same way for like a week <laughs> after finishing your book. So I'm really excited to to sit down and chat about it. Great. Well, just on, on the dialogue issue. So this is obviously it's an, a, a book in which um, m- many of the main characters are dogs. Uh, and there's a whole, there's different kind of strands that, that the kind of animal oriented adventure story you get some like watership down where the animals mm-hmm. rabbits in that case basically speak like humans. And then you got other ones like Call of the Wild, which was a big influence on this book by Jack London, where the animals d- don't speak. Um, and so, you know, they, they, they kind of get their meanings across in various doggy ways. But, um, and I suppose I, I tried to go more like the Jack London route rather than the watership down route. Um, so they, they kind of, they communicate and sometimes mm-hmm. those communications are, are, are translated into English words on, yeah. on a very basic level. But yeah, it, it was it was a challenge because you know I'm, I'm, my job is writing novels, and as you know, normally a novel consists largely of dialogue if it's a good yeah. one. And it was a whole area of of, the, of you know my, my art that I wasn't allowed to explore. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So before we like it into all that, can you go into like us? Because I, I definitely want to unpack like all of your experience in writing this sure, very unique sure, novel. So sure. yeah, can you give like a summary of, um, oh, of, of the book course, so people yeah. can follow um, along? Yeah, well, so the story begins in 1986, um, when there was this uh, famous explosion at the Chernobyl nuclear plant in what's now Ukraine, what was the Soviet Union. So the plant blew up, um, the, the local um, population had to be evacuated. And in particular, there's a, a small city there called Pripyat. And so my main human character is she begins the 16 year old, six year old girl. It's her birthday. The day before the plant blows up, she gets a puppy for her birthday, a little Samoyed with a little bit of wolf perhaps in it. Um, but they have to so that the, the town's evacuated and they're not allowed to bring their pets with them. But they were told they'd be coming back in, in three or four days. So they leave food out and they basically abandon their, their, their animals. And one strand in the book follows um, Natasha's story as she becomes a teenager, then a, you know, a girl in her twenties, and she never quite gets over this loss of this puppy. You know, her, her life's quite successful in some ways, but there's this hole at the heart of her life. So that, that's a kind of human story. Um, but I suppose the bulk of the book tells the story of the of the dogs that are left behind. The the, um, the the puppy becomes manages to survive, becomes a mother, and it's actually more about the next generation of dogs. So she's called Zoya. Her puppy's called Misha. She's got a brother called Bratan. And it's kind of about their, their attempt to survive in this, what's now um, a wilderness. Because once the people moved out, 
then nature began to move back in. Um, so you get all these kind of big megafauna that the humans have driven out <clears throat> long before. So you've got bears, you've got lynx, uh, and most significantly for this book, you've got wolves. Um, and so the the kind of I suppose the, a lot of the central conflicts are between my my feral dogs, I suppose, and the wolf packs that are moved into the area. Yeah, I it kept me on my toes, and I'm a sucker for dogs, so that I was rooting for them the entire time. I was yeah, like, no, yeah, come yeah. on. <laughs> well, I suppose that one of the things I was trying to do was that you know from the point of view of the dogs uh, early on, even though as you find that the kind of dogs have got wolf <laughs> elements mm-hmm. to them, um, mm-hmm. so, so the, the wolves are essentially the baddies, the bad guys. Um, but then you, as a book progresses, you kind of understand the wolf point of view as well. But I did do lots of research about this, got really heavily into the research about both wolf behavior and also about um, about feral dogs. Um, mm-hmm. And she, you know, it's been quite a lot of studies of, of the extent to which dogs, domestic dogs can survive in the wild. And uh, pretty well, they, they can't. So another yeah. one of the elements in this that fed into this, I, I read and, and uh, lots about the rewilding of the whole area around there. And so, you know, the, the re-emergence of the wolves and the lynx and the bears and bison. But also there were a few of these dogs that did manage to survive that were left behind. But they mainly survived by hanging around the old nuclear plant, which bizarrely was still occupied. Mm. We kind of forget that Chernobyl was still producing energy just all up through, through that period. You know, only one of the reactors blew up. So the dogs basically survived, most of them, by just hanging around the, um, the humans who were still there. And, and so that's uh, an element towards the end of the book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's such like a um definitely pulls at the heartstrings and and when you talk about like the research, I'm really fascinated by that. So like, what can we explore a little more about that? Like, not just you know, because I imagine yeah, you had to maybe research a little bit about the Chernobyl disaster and then also mm-hmm. about the behavior of you know the research that that's already been done on the behavior mm-hmm. of domesticated versus yeah. not domesticated versus yeah. in between. So True. yeah, I, I'm interested to like learn how that process was for you and maybe like, you know, cause your previous works are, are a bit different, right? Like, so how did, how did that, you know, differ what biggest lessons learned stuff like that? Yeah. Well, I suppose most of my work is, is broadly YA. I've written some adult books as well. Uh, and I suppose my kind of core was always, I suppose, surreal, comedies for to make young people laugh and so this was a bit of a diversion <laughs> but i had actually written some books there was a quite a well-known american writer called willard price who um it kind of got he was he wrote in the 50s and 60s and 70s had fallen out of fashion but i was employed to kind of reanimate the corpse of willard price so i had written some animal adventures before okay. um, but this is, this, this is rather different so i've always been obsessed with the natural world it's always been a huge part of my mental furniture from when I was a small boy. So there's always been animals in there. Um, so and I, I did want to, and also I, I mentioned those kind of animal adventure stories, again, a big part of my early reading. Mm-hmm. So Warship Down, which is a huge book in the UK, that, the, that Jack London stuff. Um, so that was all in my mind too. And then it was all triggered by watching a couple of documentaries, uh, N- National Geographic documentaries about the rewilding of Chernobyl and about these few dogs that survived. I began to think of a story about that. And as mm-hmm. I said, I got very much in, in, into the research because as I'm, I'm sure you know, that uh, dogs and wolves are essentially the same species. Mm-hmm. You know, genetically, they're, 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 they're very, very similar. They can totally interbreed freely. Um, and yet there's certain things that dogs have lost that wolves can do. Um, and this is one of the reasons why on the whole feral dogs can't survive in the wild. So in, in wolf packs, um, the, the male dog, the father helps look after the, 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 the pups, the cubs rather. Um, domestic dogs don't do that at all. Male mm-hmm. domestic dogs have no role whatsoever in looking after the young. And again, that sort of destroys the <laughs> chance of that family surviving in the wild. 
Mm. Also, wolves are just so much stronger. Their their jaws are like five times stronger than a typical dog's jaws. Um, and also, wolves are um, they're much more intelligent. Uh, and it's a kind of generalized in- intelligence. Whereas, I mean, do- dogs have got a bit dumber than wolves. Their brains are smaller, uh, <laughs> sure. but they've got brilliant uh, at some things. So, uh, which is why we love them so much. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I, a white fluffy dog is around here somewhere. So, but what, what, do- what dogs look great at is trying to understand humans. Mm-hmm. So, a dog will look at your face. You, you said you're a dog owner. Yes, yeah, yes. they look at your face, and they're trying <laughs> to understand you. Um, a, a wolf doesn't look at a human in the same way. A wolf would look at you and think either it's a threat. Or it's dinner. <laughs> yeah. Whereas yeah. a dog is thinking, how can I please this this person? Yes. <laughs> um, so the dog's intelligence is very focused on, on us in a way that a wolf has a generalized intelligence. And so, you know, I looked at a lot of cases where people have tried to keep wolves as pets or, or mm. more particularly um, wolf-dog hybrids. Right. And it's incredibly difficult and, uh, and generally speaking, a terrible idea because yeah. <laughs> the, the, they can nearly always they can escape from almost anywhere. They're just too smart. They can pick locks. They can find escape routes. And also oh, they're still real? essentially wild, wild animals. Oh, oh totally. I um, didn't know that wolves were like dexterous in it, well, some of their skills. <laughs> it makes it sound like they've got like, a skeleton key, but no, no they can, <laughs> right? they can, they can like, find wait, a way out of <laughs> and, and you know that so it's, it's not a good idea where, where dogs are comparatively dumb and i say that as a dog lover apart sure. from this aspect of knowing how to make us love them which yes. is what they're best at like um, their, their but, social skills are, are more advanced yeah it, exactly so it also made me realize that the only way i could have any sort of dogs that could have a chance of living in that environment you know this rewilded landscape around chernobyl was it's so initially the um zoya the first dog is probably mm-hmm. she, she's part wolf because you've got some of those wolf instincts. And also, um, you know, I looked a lot at how, what happens when dogs and wolves meet in, in any kind of situation. And it generally doesn't end well for the dogs. Um, usually when a wolf meets a dog, the encounter lasts about 10 seconds and ends with the dog being eaten by the wolf. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, you know, I looked at lots of, of um, pretty gruesome CCTV footage. You know, we have like like big big guard dogs confronting wolves and just they kill them straight away. But occasionally you get a massive great guard dog that can more or less fend them off. Sure. Just the wolves are better at this kind of stuff. So normally the you know dog and a wolf it's going to end up as dinner unless mm. there's one particular situation in which the dog might survive, uh, which is if it's um, a lady dog. <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, and a daddy wolf, and it's the right yeah. time of the year for the lady dog, then then the wolf and the dog might well not end up having a conflict situation. But that's basically the dog's only chance. And again, that's that that happens in in my story. So the next generation are are part wolf, part dog, and they've got uh-huh. a chance of surviving in the wild. I looked at every single case in, in the um of dogs trying to survive in the in the wild, as well as you know, every, every bit of research on wolf behavior. So I'm becoming kind of an international wolf. Which is, uh, <laughs> so who wouldn't want to be an international wolf expert? Yeah, there you go. Yep. And um, so what was like, maybe during that whole process, like what was the most fascinating thing that you learned while researching? Uh, well, you know, it's more that what I found was, was the, the complex ecology of the area around Chernobyl. So you did have all these kind of big animals coming back in there. And so um, also what's interesting was you got wolves and interacting <laughs> as well. Because, you, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure what the American for lynx would be. It's uh, You do have being lynx is kind of a... Yeah, or like, there, it's like mountain cat. Yeah, there's, I, th- I think yeah, we I do. think a, a lynx is bigger than a bobcat, but smaller than, yeah. a, than a mountain lion. Right. Um, again, you, you know, um, lynx and wolves interacting, incredibly interesting. 
generally there, um, the, the lynx wins. They're about roughly the same size, wolf and a lynx, but usually oh, okay. one lynx, one wolf, it, it's, the, the, the lynx will kill the wolf usually. Which are, but there are two, two wolf, one lynx, then they can fight them off. Um, but so all that kind of stuff's really fascinating. Um, well, wolves are also huge, about the way that, though. Like, that surprises me that lynx are like, I didn't realize they were like generally the same size. I was thinking a lynx was maybe slightly smaller. But maybe the European lynx is slightly bigger than the, Probably. the ones you have in America. So, yeah. And especially the ones that have in Russia, because again, they're kind of bigger and, <laughs> and, more, uh, and more aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, maybe it's getting a little maybe it's something saying, in the water. Oh, oh, the other animal that, that kind of came in there and became more common was, was bears as well. Which I know yeah. you, uh, are you whereabouts in America are you? How about Chicago, the Midwest. Okay, so, right. So plenty of bears around there, but mainly black yeah. bears, I'm guessing, or do you have grizzlies there too? I think mostly grizzlies. I guess it depends. Um, it depends on where, you know, because I mean, I'm in like suburbs and we see more coyotes okay. and foxes in around like really? they get, you know, they okay. get a little bit brave um, and small rodents like, you know, raccoons and skunks. But it depends on like the more, you sure. know, if you go to like a national park or something, then you have to be careful because like you're yeah. then you're like in their turf. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, so yeah, but yeah. I think mostly brown, you know, like brown grizzly bears um, are probably more okay. prevalent in where I'm at anyway. Okay. Because again, another one of the relationships in my book is between the wolf, uh, sorry, one of my dogs and yeah. a bear cub, which then grows up. Again, wolves and bears interact in really interesting ways. You know, sometimes they're, they're never quite friends in the wild, but they're not quite enemies either. Right. So they sometimes <laughs> kind of cooperate. Um, so that's another part of it. And I did actually, a few years ago, I went to a bit of an expedition to Canada to research another book. Um, oh, okay. And uh, I did have it um, by myself in Algonquin State Park. Um, trying to kind of connect with with, with, with the, the wilderness, and they, a couple of years before, there have been three teenage boys have been killed by a black bear in in, in Algonquin. So I was in woods, and that was a uh, that was quite an intense experience, which I did kind of then use to I, I sort of translated that because the that part of Russia is not totally dissimilar to Canada. So I did kind of use that experience and then trans. I was going to go to Chernobyl, but then COVID and lockdown stopped me. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, so did you start um, writing this book then? Like how long, how long did it take? And then you kind of had to postpone it or how did, how did that publishing yeah, experience go? Um, well, I started writing this book about four or five years ago. Okay. Okay. So, but I began writing it, you know, I'm, I'm, I tend to have two or three projects on, on the go at the same time. And this is always sure. sort of ticking away in the background. Um, <laughs> I only finally finished it about, about, about a year ago, but it was quite, okay. quite drawn out. And the original version as well was, was quite different. Um, so now it focuses very much on the, on the dogs and on, on the Tasha story. But the okay. original version had um, quite big digressions. One set in the Second World War. Oh, was a, okay. Um, you know, between the like, Russian partisans and the Germans were kind of fighting over it. So the kind of a wolf story set in that period. Another, okay. set, another kind of wolf story set in the Afghan war. Um, so I had the, but and I, in some ways, you probably had right to say this before. In, in some ways, these were the best parts of the book, and yet they had to go because they weren't oh. quite central to that story. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. They, they, they say kill your darlings, but it was like soaring off a limb. Losing oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard when you're like so attached to it, and it's your baby. Yeah. It's like you've yeah. worked so yeah, yeah, hard, yeah. you know, put all this work into it, and then it's like you got to say goodbye to some things for for very good reason, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like no, you're, this doesn't fit. <laughs> like just for that simple, 
simple yep. enough reason. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, but that would have been like fascinating to see how, you know, just explore like the survival, survivalism of that process of animals and different, you know, human historical events. Um, yeah. So then how did this process publishing this book, like, how did your experience differ from your previous works? And even so, if, are you used to write, working on multiple things at the same time? But, and then I imagine that, you know, the, the pandemic and everything kind of turned mm. everything upside down. So ev- everybody in the publishing writing world had to go back to the drawing board at some point, I think, just because things were so different yeah. than business as yeah. usual. Well, I suppose that um, because I mainly write for children and young people, I- I've often, um, unflattering way to put it, felt on a bit of a conveyor belt. I've, you've got to keep on producing the books because otherwise your your readership grows up and leaves you behind. So yeah. <laughs> I've, I've often written, you know, there have been years when, when I've published four different books. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. and often as well, because it's children's books, maybe it's a series or at least you've got a kind of contract for several books. Um, and so that's like almost like a day job. Um, having to produce these books that, that, as part of a series or whatever. Uh, whereas this was more like a kind of a hobby. It, there wasn't a contract for it. It oh, okay. was a, an obsession of mine that I was writing while I was writing these other other books. Um, okay. and, and so, you know, I've been writing now for 25 years, published about 50 something books. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, and, and most of the time it's been, I've known that what I'm writing will get published because it's a kind of mm-hmm. pre-existing deal for it. Sure. Whereas this was totally out, out of the blue. So I finished it and then my agent had to try and sell it. <laughs> yeah. <the> world. <laughs> so that so was a whole like, different process for you that what you're used to then. It, it was almost oh, like being a first time author again, that terror and that excitement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting by the phone of, or by the computer, it, like it, for that exactly. email and. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, that's so funny. But I'm glad I mean, it paid off. I'm glad that, you know, you were able to to find an audience for it or to find a means to publication. Yeah, I should say as well that, you know, obviously, my my job is words. um, And and I've always been very focused on on language. So I I tend not to think about how a a book looks, but I should start, I'm going to hold it up to the the camera now, even though there's not a camera here. Um, (laughs) But the the, the publisher, One World, they've made this look so beautiful. Um, Yeah. It's a, it's beautifully illustrated just as an object. It's just a lovely, lovely piece of piece of art, really. So did you have a say in how did the book cover process go? Did you have a say in it? Did you have like a vision board or were you just kind of well, concentrating on getting it out there? <laughs> Do you know what? Um, publishers always pretend they care what the author thinks about the, the cover. <laughs> um and but they never really listen. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, you know, in the past, I, I've begged a publisher not to use a cover, and they just say, "Oh, yeah, that's really interesting. It's good to hear that," and they ignore you. So, but, but fortunately, with this, I, I loved everything about it right from right from the start. The look of it. So, the illustrator, a guy called Keith Robinson, who I hadn't worked with before, but so he sent some kind of roughs of, "Oh, these, these look great." Then the final cover, the cover art yeah. was just beautifully done. You know, it's one of those cases where. I had nothing to say because it was all really good. Yeah. <laughs> so there's nothing to complain about. Um, but, you know, right. the, the truth is when you when you read, especially I think young people, it's a physical and sensual experience as much as it is an intellectual one. You, you know, you read and you look at the pictures and you feel the paper and then you go back to the cover yeah. and it helps form the, a young person's idea of what the characters are like when you see those pictures. Uh, and I think here it's, it's a perfect composite work of art between my words and, and Keith's illustrations. Yeah, no, I I do like the cover too, and it's, it took me a minute even like to realize like oh it's it's continued on the back like oh they're they're wolves like they're, there they are like what are they running from oh no there yeah. they are. <laughs> well, 
I've got to ask you, did, did you get the proof without I, the internal? I, well, I don't know. I got this one. I got the same one, but I don't know if it, um, yeah, so it says the, coming. The actual, yeah, so, so the published version has got illustrations all the way through. Oh, no, I don't. I oh, don't have any of the right. illustrations, unfortunately. Oh, right. I feel like I'm missing out. Yeah, you, right. you are. They're, they're just stunning the illustrations all the way yeah, through. I'll have to, I'll have to check out a, the more finalized copy then, yeah, because this one I got, I don't even know how long ago when we first scheduled the sure. interview. It was like probably a couple months ago. So I imagine it's it's like, yeah, I, I realize that as I'm like, you know, interviewing authors and the whole, um, all the little pieces that go in that process, it's that there's that warning there for a reason, like, okay, just so you know, this is not, this is a, you know, an advanced copy. This is not a final proof. So whatever, Riddled you with quote, mistakes if you quote case. or anything, like just know that you're not quoting a finalized copy, <laughs> which is fine. I don't usually quote um, uh, words from the books I read, but um, no, I just, yeah, I'll have to check out um, the finalized version. Cause I, you know, but I mean, you're vivid detail, very descriptive. I could, I could imagine, you know, picture it in my head. So it's, I only feel like I'm missing out now because of you mentioned something. <laughs> Sorry, I should have shut up about it. You're right. You should have just let me be like naive and like, no, it's all right. Yeah, I'll go check it out. No, because I, I, I really did enjoy this book and it was really easy to breeze through. And I, I was, like I said, like I was, I felt, you know, my heart ached for Natasha during those few first chapters. And, um, you know, I was rooting for Misha and I was like, it was funny because you follow like the course of his whole life. And as the story progresses, I'm like, I'm like, oh my, how many litters is, are they going to have? I was like, wait, what's normal? Wait, like what's, what's the gestation period of like, you know, of, of a dog? I, I keep, her, yeah. you know, cause I'm um, like, oh, wait, wait a second. Like, wait wait okay he's got another mate now okay like what's going on here and like and then <laughs> life catches up to him you know you put, make a very good point that i had to work out the the mathematics very carefully yeah. <laughs> and it's just about possible <laughs> yeah right i was gonna say because like wait if he's maybe dogs live about 15 16 ish years depending yeah. on you know yeah. and poor misha yeah. has had a yeah. fight for survival his whole life so who knows like how, <laughs> how much he's aged just from the stress <laughs> it's it probably is um it, it's a tiny bit of a stretch but hopefully not beyond the bounds of possibility is, well, is you know, yeah i mean if there's if they're either like strays or wild you know dogs it's hmm. you know they're not you never know i i would say like yeah i imagine there's just that survival instinct of like passing on your line so i think you know sure. if if nothing's stopping them <laughs> there's they're sure enough gonna just like follow their you know yeah. their brain their primal need to like okay like mate eat survive all yeah. that you know well i mean one of the interesting things in the research was um so around chernobyl um that there were different um zones of, of radiation contamination mm-hmm. so there's a part that there's an area in the book which is quite important called the red forest um which was right under this cloud and basically everything died in the red forest so mm-hmm. the trees were all killed, uh, or, uh, you know, all the animals were in it, even the, the, the bugs were all killed. So, and that's still heavily contaminated. That's uh, crazy. You, you, yeah. you, 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 you can't go there. Um, but the area around that, that was more mildly contaminated, uh, people kind of assumed it would have a terrible impact on the, on the, on the wildlife. But in fact, it turns out that when you get beyond that ultra, that kind of killing zone, uh, the animals can survive perfectly well. Yeah, but with these kind of relatively light radiation um, loads, 
And I suppose it's because, you know, a, a human who was, would in that, who was there would have a reasonable chance of getting cancer later in life. Uh, but on the whole, um, animals just naturally die before that, that, that time would kick in. Oh, okay. So, and, as, and I suppose I was, I thinking that maybe that, <laughs> that Misha might live such a long time because the radiation gave him superpowers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Like kind of Spider-Man kind of, but uh, right. Yeah. And then, so yeah, because I have very little familiarity with like radiation. Because I did watch, I did watch that um HBO series, and it it was just so fascinating. Even you know the, even though it was like it was like a docu series, it's not like a documentary, but it was like a um a drama. It was a mini series. You know, I just thought it was like fascinating. Oh. So because I'm like you know a little familiarity with like the you know, the nature of, of radiation. And obviously it's very dangerous, like with an explosion like that, but like, so is that something where those animals that survived, like they're exposed to small bits of radiation surrounding that area. And then, so does it get passed down then? Like when they, through their offspring, like how does that work? Well, they're, they're, they're trying to find evidence of mutation. So, you, so yeah, okay. Um, and and so far as far you know i i stopped researching this a couple of years ago but um there was no obvious evidence that there was mutations in those populations okay. i think there was yeah there was some like the, so the bugs the insects in the local area that, that, that there were some of those that seemed to be a bit strange from what i recall but okay. none of the bigger animals were being affected by it okay so it was more kind of odd behavior in the insects so you know this, this was not a good thing you know it was a disaster yeah. right. <laughs> i'm not trying to portray chernobyl as being as, as you know great wasn't well it, well it, it was great for the nature because people were out the way the animals could reoccupy the area but still you know thousands of people died yeah. the, the, and, and hundreds of thousands of people had their lives ruined by it as well mm-hmm. actually one of the um the main source for the chernobyl tv series was a, a book called chernobyl by a russian historian called uh plocky i think um and he, so that, that had all the kind of background, you know, a really close examination, exactly what, what went wrong. But he also makes a strong case there for saying that at that time, so Gorbachev, who's just recently passed away, um, yeah, yeah. he was desperate to turn Russia, the Soviet Union, into a kind of Sweden, into a kind of democratic socialist sort of state. And that absolutely required various things. Uh, and one of those was cheap energy because um, mm-hmm. nuclear power is really important in Russia in those days. Um, and Chernobyl made that impossible. And also just the cost of clearing up was billions and billions of dollars. And that yeah. destroyed the Russian economy and, and destroyed any chance of ru- proper, properly becoming any kind of progressive uh, society. Mm-hmm. So the kind of disaster that we have now with Putin and his awful invasion of Ukraine is a consequence, really, of, of Chernobyl, meaning that proper reform was impossible. Yeah. Well, that's what, what Blocky argues. Yeah. So it was a tragedy in all kinds of ways. Yeah, and that's crazy how something that was like, God, 50 years ago almost and it's still like you see that trickling in generations yeah. later that that effect yeah, 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 yeah that's so wild that's so crazy yeah i know it is fascinating it's like i don't know it's just like the the tragedy of it but then also like what you know how we responded to that and then and i like your take where you're like well how what happened to the animals what happened to the, the fauna and like the land surrounding that when humans were like not allowed to go, you know, they're not allowed to habitate that area anymore. Yeah. And it is fascinating. And it's just a pure, like physical, it's like pure, like physical evidence, like proof that the impact that we're having, you know, and you know, both it's, it's crazy. The, The terrible thing about being an author is that you look at a situation like Chernobyl and what you think is, how can I use this? <laughs> how can I exploit it? How can I get a story out of this? It's why, yeah. why 
authors are. But it is a it is a story to tell. There is a little guilt to it, though. That I get it. I get it. But then that's you know, in your defense, you're just you're exploring you're exploring it in a healthy way, right? <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> um. So what? Uh, what age group is this for, actually? Because I know you're used to writing like younger for younger audiences. Were you trying to still go for a younger audience with this one? Um, it's a very good question and one that's quite hard to answer. Um, <laughs> I was, so, was going to uh, ask, like, how did you know? Like, did you know that going in? Like, what did you decide it later? How did that go about? Okay, so um, most of my book is, is books of YA, so they're aimed at, at teenagers. And um, I've also written books for younger people as well, kind of, you know, nine to 12. Um, and I suppose I, I thought that maybe, um, and books for adults. So I thought I'd try and write it for everyone, which might well mean it's for no one. So I, I suppose <laughs> if, the, if the publisher had to say who it's for, they'd probably say for, for mid-grade. So a bit okay. below YA. Yeah. Um, but then there's elements of it which are definitely kind of YA. There's also elements which are quite adult. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, you know, it's uh, it, parts of it are incredibly violent and gruesome. Um, hopefully, parts of it are emotionally really wrenching <laughs> and mm-hmm. difficult, uh, and that's going to make it, you know, a stretching read for a nine-year-old. But, yeah. but you know, there are some nine-year-olds that, that love that. Yeah. Um, just a, an example of, of of the kind of subtle pressures you get put under by your um, by your your uh, your editors and the publisher. So the right at the beginning of the story, Natasha is is six. She's quite a young young child. And because um, on the whole, young people like to read about characters who are their age or older, my publisher really wanted me to make Natasha older so that Mm -hmm. a nine or 10 or 12 year old wouldn't think they're reading about a younger, younger person. But that just didn't quite work for the setup of the book of a a young girl being distraught, losing a puppy um, and trying to hide. Oops, (laughs) spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, So, 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 (laughs) you know, the, the story follows Natasha's life from six until her 30s. Um, so the later parts, are, I suppose, are kind of adult in a way, and the younger parts for children. So this is a, a terrible answer to your very good question about <laughs> who it's for. Um, so in my head, it's for everyone, but does that mean it's for no one? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> that's a yeah, that's a good point. No, I would say like yeah, you're kind of like watching her. Yeah, because you're watching her grow up. The book follows her in her years yeah. and how that incident has affected her. Um, yeah, but. Yeah, but no, and also, that's why I was wondering because I, I mean, I was entertained throughout, but I guess for adults, like, I feel like, yes, they read adult themes, but I think maybe they're a little less, um, likely to dismiss parts with younger, where the younger, the protagonist is younger. But I think uh-huh. that's an interesting point about like teenagers or middle grade, um, readers where they're like, yeah, where they like read a protagonist at six years old and like, oh, this is a baby book or something <laughs> like that. What, you know, and they're like, yeah. oh, but yeah. And it, yeah, it is tricky when you're following a character through her entire life and mm-hmm. trying to find that that sweet spot or at least make it consistent where, you know, people don't feel like they're reading about different people. But no, that's OK. <laughs> like, I was just interested to like, you know, how that process went for you, because I know that you yeah, you mainly um, gear your work towards younger audiences. And so I thought this was an interesting change of pace for you, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But also I think that because um, the core is this animal adventure, I mean, certainly uh, in the UK, I'm not sure about the, the US, but um, people who love that kind of animal adventure, they can love it as kids and also love it as adults. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I keep coming out to, to the Warship Down, which I probably read when I was nine or 10, but yet which many adults read in the UK. Mm-hmm. So it kind of appeals to, but I think that that, that fact isn't, got an animal core nature core perhaps stretches out the readership he said hopefully yeah 
Yeah, or reminds me also of what like maybe it's an American thing, the secrets of the secret of Nim or oh, something yeah. like that. It was really so yeah. similar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because Watership Down, I definitely have I've had that on my reading or the movie. There's a movie about it too. I think yeah. there's like a really old movie and then like a really recent movie. And I was kind of like, yeah. yeah, I was like, well, how much time do I have? Do I want to read it? Do I want to just watch a movie? <laughs> but I've been very. Don't watch the, the new movie. The, the, um, back in, I think, the 80s, there was one with the famous um, uh, Art Garfunkel theme tune. Yeah. But it it yeah. traumatized a lot, of, a lot of kids back in those days. Oh, it's, no, it's like 81. Bad. Yeah, I think it came out like 81, 82 or something like that. It was, we weren't ready. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like, yeah, it reminds me of like The Secret of Nim, where it's like, it's very serious. Um, they're in a very serious situation, but it's, they're animals you know yeah and yeah <laughs> and then you were like and then there's you know the little kids who are reading it like oh humans are horrible like what are we doing we're, <laughs> we're destroying their home like yeah. like okay they're well, yeah <laughs> and also you know it's a book about dogs and so i'm hoping it might appeal to dog lovers <laughs> yeah yeah actually my, my last big book that came out in the states was a book called um it's actually a non-fiction book called how to teach philosophy to your dog Oh, so okay. Uh, I think I, I think I, I heard about that just while researching your your um, uh, work. Yeah, and it's mainly a book about philosophy. It's kind of an introduction to to philosophy from taking it from the you know the Greeks to the modern period. But it's also about a dog. It's about my my my, my pet Maltese Monty and me talking to him about philosophy. And so that that then <laughs> lots of people that didn't care about the philosophy read it for the dog stuff. <laughs> so maybe I'm hoping that happens here with this as well. Right. Maybe you'll have to learn that the hard way, though. You like did all this research to write all this like <laughs> philosophical, you know, philosophical yeah. like content. And then like, exactly. people are, like, no, get get back to the dog. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I, I remember because my dog, she's like, I don't know, she's a mutt. She's like medium size. Um, she's mostly like German Shepherd and Lab Retriever. She's got like some hound okay. in her and yeah. Beagle, like some staffordshire terrier and are very but she's very much like a little bit of all those things um yeah. but her she looks more like um she's like 45 pounds she's skinny she used to be my running buddy but she's getting old she's like eight or nine right now <laughs> oh, okay. so you know so she's slowing down a bit but yeah i remember just looking at her like she'll be like i was reading this book and she's like i look over and i'm like imagining how I was like, oh no, you would not survive. Like she's like snoozing on the couch, like you know, barking for a treat or whatever. And I'm like, you brat, like yeah. you would not. And she, even even just with her nature, though, like she she's not even she doesn't care about being the alpha, like not at all. Um, you know, and except unless when it comes to because I have two little boys and we would take when they were the oldest one was younger, we'd take them to the dog park and other dogs they'd see infants or babies and little kids they get so excited they want to say hi but our dog she got like really i i didn't know she had it in her she got like really protective and was like hey no this is my human oh, wow. stay away like yeah, and i was like yeah. oh wow okay and so it's like okay well if we ever want a second dog it maybe it should be a puppy like something that's very like not threatening yeah you know that will because <laughs> yeah and it's you know it's only things like that where she um yeah, I she's not she doesn't care about being an alpha. Like I don't think she even cares about being the second in command. Like she <laughs> she's you know, she's pretty submissive and and I've seen her maybe try to break up fights with other dogs and I'm like really? mind your own business, stay out <laughs> of it. Like don't worry about it. It doesn't have anything yeah. to do with you. Like um but other than that, she's just very yeah, she's very good like just submissive, good-natured, um, you know, very laid back for the most part. And so, yeah, after reading this, I was like thinking of like, oh, I was putting her in that situation. I was like, no. Like so <laughs> and, like when you say like oh, chan you know, chances are 
from the research you've done, domesticated animals do not do well when they try to survive out on their own. And so I'm like, well, that makes sense then. Like, you know. But I I suspect your dog would survive longer than mine. We've got a little fluffy (laughs) white Maltese. Um, Probably. Now. 11 most of his teeth have fallen out um oh, still, no. <laughs> in his head though he's like a rottweiler and he'll have a go at any bigger dog and you know there's a near here there's um a newfoundland did you know what newfoundland is yeah he's they're like, bigger like yeah yeah enormous and, and but they're like gentle dog, giants aren't they they, 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 like, they are they yeah, are so monty yeah. will snarl and snap at it and this he could swallow him like a pill yeah just, i don't know but is convinced he can take him <laughs> <laughs> I think that's very consistent with um is really common with smaller dogs. I think they got yeah, something to prove. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas bigger dogs are like, okay, whatever, like go along, little one. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although, yeah I mean, I, I, I'm a sucker for dogs. Researching this, um the, the, the one of the few occasions when a, a a couple of dogs did survive in the wild for for a long time, there were there were terriers. So smaller dogs uh, that don't yeah. need as much, you know, they can, they can catch the odd squirrel. So sure. they've got the best chance. Actually, the big dogs have got no chance. The tiny ones get eaten in no time at all. But kind of, me, you know, the te- terrier-sized ones, they can, you know, dig and burrow. That, that, that They've got a small chance, but still. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it comes down to like, you know, what are their strengths? Like if some of them have speed, but still like there are a lot of, I mean, I imagine wolves can outrun the fastest dog, right? Like, well, the, the wolves have got stamina. Uh, and yeah. so in, in one of the main dogs in, in dogs, the deadlines is Saluki and a Saluki is faster than any wolf. Um, they don't have the jaw strength, so they yeah. could catch a deer, but they, they'd struggle to kill one. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and, you know, wolves can just keep on running for ages they, they run down their prey and then it's uh, it's good night for the bison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the deer. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. Cause I know you have like all these different breeds in there and I thought it was really cool. How do you, you kind of, yeah, Misha found his little ragtag group, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and, and um, it was, yeah. During those scenes where like, it, it was like a standoff. It was just like, Oh shit. Like <laughs> I remember just being like, Oh my God, come on. You yeah. guys can do it. Like, <laughs> well I, I was hoping that you'd root for the dogs and um of course yeah yeah i mean I, yeah but at the same time you understand where the wolves are coming from but you're like no like just go away like like don't worry about them they're not a threat to you <laughs> like you know but, but, uh, but my... yeah it's like a fight for survival right like oh you're on our turf or you're stealing yeah. resources we have yeah, to yeah, survive yeah. this is my pack you know yeah i mean one of my concerns was that, that uh, you know as i said earlier on the wolves are the bad guys mm-hmm. and uh and, yeah, i don't really believe that <laughs> you know i i adore i adore wolves and I'm, I'm delighted that out europe are getting a bit more common um so I, I don't want us to fear wolves but just from that yeah. point of view of the dogs they were the baddies actually i, I kind of link that in a way to a lot of my ya stuff um is about it's about the dynamics of school life and um w- where bullying is kind of a really important yeah. part, part of, of every school i've ever, ever visited and from the point of view of the bullied person the bully is the personification of evil so uh, now, obviously, as, a, as adults and as an author, you understand the factors that made that bully a bully, you know, yeah. their own their own traumas and trials. Yeah. Uh, uh, but but from the point of view of the bullied person, they are evil. Yeah. And so I suppose and then perhaps, you know, in a lot of my books, then there's a, an, under, an understanding that emerges. Um, and again, I wanted that sort of dynamic in, in this book. Yeah, and I I like how you mentioned that too, because it's something I think about just with like my my oldest, he just turned five and he's just started kindergarten. So I'm like, oh God, it's like a whole new wave of like 
things that he's exposed to the routine, you know, going into the structure, being around other kids. And, and he's gonna, you know, unfortunately he's going to encounter kids who are like, not that pleasant, not that awesome. He's going to have to learn how to deal with it as much as I want to like tell him what to do or how to handle it. Like, unfortunately he's got to, you know, those are his peers. Those aren't my peers. Like as the adult, I'm just going to make it worse if I try to step in. So like, you know, and he might, he might be well fine, but otherwise, (laughs) you know, he might not. But at the same time, I just also want to like, yeah, I like to think about that and want to explain to him eventually that, you know what, like, you know, that person's miserable. If it ever comes to that anyway, like that person's miserable, that person's got their own problems, probably like, yeah. you know, and then just try to go from there. Cause otherwise I don't, my, my go-to is like, no, screw them. Like, go, like go to defi- like, cause even then with his younger brother, <laughs> like his younger brother has like almost two and he's got his personality and they get into fights and, and where it's where, you know, uh-huh. he, my older one that's like well you're older he's a toddler like you know better but at the same time it's like i also understand that you want to defend yourself <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. if your brother's hitting you and like he's starting it like i understand like don't worry you're not in- like i understand why you did what you did but you should not do that <laughs> like, you know yeah. it's it's very yeah. tricky it's like navigating those um you know the behaviors but it's it's yeah you know and things like these stories when you write the stories for the kids their age you also want to you want to well you want to stress that too you want to make sure there's a lesson learned you want to make sure they're getting what you want to think about what they're getting out of it you know and and that's yeah. that's really important how and i thought it was that's so cool how you trans you, you translated that to the animal kingdom you know <laughs> yeah, just 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 to, to cheer you that, that kind of anxiety about how your kids will be at school mine are now 22 and 19 and it lasts all you never lose that anxiety about yeah. your kids all right <laughs> complex world of high school and even adult life beyond that so sorry yeah, about it's okay. that <laughs> it's okay i'm just trying to take one day at a time it's like you know it's it's a uh, you know you're still gonna deal with bullies in your teens and your 20s and your 30s <laughs> you know you just gotta you gotta do your but i i think my philosophy is like just you know try try not to take everything so personally try to stay at try to stay ahead of the game, you know, just worry about yourself. Like, cause otherwise, you know, you can't, it's still, it's going to be a little tricky going forward. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so kind of going off of like your writing process, what were, this is like a two part question. What were the most challenging parts to write? And then what were like the more enjoyable parts to write? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, two, two good questions. Um, well, the, the, the structure of this book is very, very complicated. Um, so be, you, you know, you've got, um, you've got the human timeline. So basically we, we keep coming back to Natasha at different points in her life. Yeah. Like switching uh, back to, and forth. Yeah. Yeah. I had to then integrate that with the animal timeline with the dogs. And even mm. within that, you've got two different generations of dogs. Uh, and it was, it was really difficult because, uh, you know, obviously some writers and some uh, or pantsers is the word I, uh, people often use now. Uh, and I'm definitely, so I'm um, flying by the seat of your pants. And, and normally what I do is I've got a vague idea about the story in my head. I just start typing and I just write it from beginning to end. Whereas this one, I, I couldn't do that. I just had to mm. plot it all out to make sure that the timelines were okay. And that was against my normal way of, of working. That, that, so that was really hard. I was forced to be a proper plotter. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, spreadsheets and post-it notes all over the yeah. place. Um, <laughs> rather than just getting on with, with the typing. Um, so th- that was the most challenging just that structural complexity of the, of the story and i will never do that again <laughs> and, um, the most enjoyable bits I, you know I, I love doing all that scientific research i mean that, i found that genuinely engrossing and fascinating also i suppose um 
I, I, I knew that it was all going to build up to a very, very emotional ending where I bring the yeah. two storylines together. I, I, I didn't know I was going to be able to do that. You know, you, you never, as a, as, a, as a writer, you kind of, you oscillate between the conviction that you're the greatest writer that's ever lived and that you're <laughs> completely useless. And I think that you kind of need need both. You know, if you, if you just thought you were a genius, you'd be a monster. If you yeah. just thought you were useless, you'd never write anything. So you yeah. need that oscillation between the two. I'm great. I'm rubbish. I'm great. I'm rubbish. <laughs> um, and and uh, that kind of friction co- comes hopefully a, a book. Um, but but what I didn't know is could, could I write the, that emotional ending, bring it all together? Um, and when I finally wrote it, um, I put my you know, I came back to it a day later and read it. I thought I had actually, mm. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a particularly emotional person, but right when I reread the ending, even a cold hearted monster like me, I, I shed a little tear. <laughs> I, it's an I loved that it. I love the way you did that though. I really did. I, I was like, oh. like I was sitting there like, like a little, like, I don't know what the word is, but it was just like, like relief slash, like, it was very little emotion where it was just like, oh, like, <laughs> like, oh, you, oh okay. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it would, it made me, yeah. Like, I feel like if you close the book and, and you think, and you're just like, oh, like, okay, like, okay, well, now it's over, but also like, oh, like, it, it was okay. Everything's okay. Because <laughs> it is like tricky. And, and, you know, it, I imagine just like having to wrap it up because you, you also like did a couple time jumps too and like flashbacks. And and I feel like yeah. that's so tricky, you know, to be able to like weave that in and make it make sense and make it flow mm-hmm. um, without kind of tug- making the reader feel like, wait, where, where am I now? You know, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, so, um, and, and, and I think that was like, yeah, I imagine that was really challenging, but it was, it, it was a very interesting way to tell the story. And, and I think it definitely paid off because then you're, you're following Natasha and then you're following Misha and then. You're like, wait, what's wait? What happened to the old woman? Like, what happened to the witch in the cottage or whatever? Like, wait, wait a yeah. second. Like, cause yeah, cause there's like a time jump, and then all of a sudden, Zoya's a mother, and then you're like, oh wait, <laughs> like what? Ha- like what? Wait, what happened in that time frame? <laughs> like, yeah, and then yeah, you go back, yeah. and then so, and then readers are rewarded eventually. Like, oh, okay, cool. Like now we get to kind of learn what what happened in that what well, couple of years. I imagine that yeah. where she well, grew well, up and. Well, one of the big bits that had to come out that I had to cut out was a, about um, the, the, the inverted commas witch, the old woman. Uh, and it was about her experience in the second world war and about why she then retreated to the woods. So, yeah, but that was more, so it gave you more detail on that one character, but didn't really move the story along. Sure. So sure. <laughs> yeah. Even though she's like a, definitely a significant character, you got to be careful about how yeah. much, how you're, how you're sharing her and how you're, introducing her and yeah but i suppose that um one of the things that definitely helps when you're writing a character is to know everything about them even the things that don't appear in the story it's a way yeah. of you know, adding, adding you know complexity and text to that character Absolutely. so you know i teach a lot of creative writing and one of the standard exercises is to make your you know, the, the, the writers who are doing your, your, your group think about the what happened to this that character before the story begins and even write then stories about the the early history of that character, just to to help you then make that character denser. Yeah, more, exactly. More textured. Yeah, it's it's no exactly. It's like you know, like almost like an iceberg where you see the tip of it, but it's like there's so yeah. much more yeah. to this yeah. person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to avoid the ice the iceberg metaphor, but it's there. <laughs> right. Sorry, I went there. <laughs> it's all right. 
the iceberg is the elephant in the room or something. Yep. I did it. I went there. No shame. <laughs> um, just a few more questions before we wrap up. So something interesting I want to, I want to see is what was like, what was, what was it like writing from an animal's point of view? Have you ever done that before? Like what was the most challenging part of that? Cause yeah. it, you know, it's like a survival story. There's a lot going on. There's a lot that Misha goes yeah. through and it's like, how, how was that for you? So in the Willard Price books I mentioned earlier on, um, there, although mainly it's from, again, the, the, the human's point of view, occasionally I'll go into the mind of an animal. Um, so, you know, it's a little kind of, it's a, it's a, a test for your, your skills as a writer, I suppose. Trying sure. to see the, so, uh, but here, um, most of my YA and children's books are first person narratives. So I really do have to get into the mind of the characters. Yeah. Whereas this is close third person. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm kind of sitting on their shoulders. So I don't have to become a, a, a wolf or a, or, or, a, or a yeah. You don't or, have to help them um, with their kill or anything. You're just kind of no, um, <laughs> uh, so again, you know, what I wanted to do was to make it realistic to feel right. So when they so um, because that they're, they're um, half wolf, half dogs, um, that they're not necessarily brilliant at killing big game. So a lot of their food is is carrion and insects and that kind of gross stuff. So yeah. again, I wanted to kind of get make that realistic. You know, they're not hugely heroic in, in, in their kills. They're, they're, they're living that's just on the edge of starvation a lot of time. And so finding a dead badger or a, even a, um, a moose's antler they can gnaw on can save them. No. Um, so I suppose I wanted to, that, that was my way of trying to make it feel real by making it um, unromantic. To, yeah, you know, the, the kind of the, the the terror and the hunger of their lives, right? Uh, to make that that feel real to the reader. So th- yeah. that was one way of, d- of doing it. That's you know that's a good point that you make to make it not so fluffy, to make it real, <laughs> to like <Yeah>. really like. <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of it is really gross. <laughs> I think because you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, because it, it really is. You're like, oh, I think yeah, just some of the descriptions where it's like, oh, you he felt the crunch or something it was like, or he smelled the, you know, the, the carcass or whatever. It's like, it's like, okay. Yeah. We're, we're in it. We're in it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, we're both dog owners. So we know that dogs do a lot of disgusting things. Yes. I mean, yes. Monty, Monty's favorite thing in the world to do is to find some Fox excrement and roll around in it. Oh but no. Why he should want to do that. I don't know. Does he have a white enjoy. coat too? Does he have he white does, fur? Yes. Oh no. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Yes, See, my ours has black fur, so unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, we we don't realize it until it's too late. Like, yeah. you know, it doesn't show up. No, our for ours, she she eats the geese poop. Geese, uh, really? We get a lot of yeah. I don't know why. Like for the longest, like I have to be careful where I take her because a geese, depending on the type of the time of year. You know, if we're walking through the parks, especially like it's just yeah. everywhere, it's oh, everywhere <laughs> and it's disgusting. Like I have to keep her super close and let her like, don't let her sniff anything if we're <laughs> passing a certain path because I know what she's going to do and it's nasty. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know why. <laughs> like, I do not know maybe why. It's, maybe it's delicious. Maybe I, pro- I don't, I guess. Time. I guess like she would know. I mean, she, her nose is right at that level, but still like, like get out of here. Like, I don't want it. Like, don't lick me. Don't kiss me. Don't like, like stay out of here. Like we're going to brush in your teeth when we get home. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Um. So what, okay. This is kind of a funny question. I just want to see what you would say. Um. What advice would you give to Natasha? What advice would you give to Misha? Oh, blimey. Um, well, I think that um, as a so Natasha's life is kind of 
blighted by this this one this loss when, when she was early and also being torn away from her, yeah. her community um so that doesn't help but i think quite often as a reader i think you want to shake her and say you know get on with your own life leave it yeah. behind and yeah. she can't she can't do that and i suppose that maybe this is the same for you know lots of people that we know where that they're, they're kind of stuck in some bad time in the past uh, and and but you can't you can't shake someone out of it. They've got to yeah. find their own way out of that that dark place. I, 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 whenever you try and give advice to people, <laughs> it never goes well in my experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think I would just let her work out her own her own life path there. Um, yeah. What, what advice would I give to to Misha as a yeah? As a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, um, does he get into any? Um, I'd say beware the links. Is what I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, do, do, whenever I say that, so there's um a type of really terrible um spray-on like perfume deodorant for teenagers in the UK oh. called Lynx. Do you have that there as well? Um, <laughs> no, I wouldn't say. I mean, would is it terrible on purpose? Because I feel like Axe body spray is it, it, it could be well, a bit yeah. much. It's just nothing that, that like a, a fourteen-year-old boy will cover himself in before his first school disco. <laughs> yeah, like they don't really like a little. The less is more. <laughs> like <laughs> so, whenever I say the word links, I've always got this this cloud of this adolescent perfume in my, in my head. <laughs> but um, I don't know what advice can you give a dog? <laughs> don't roll in the fox shit. Oop, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. Don't worry about it. Let 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 them rip. Let, let them let them go. <laughs> I wish I'd known earlier. <laughs> well, you're used to you know writing for younger audiences, and this is you know this is an adult podcast, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, you know my, my, my YA, YA books are often quite explicit in the language, but I often visit schools, and when you you know talking to 500 teenagers, you you simply have to be careful about the language. Yes. Not from yeah. there, but they don't care. But the uh, the teachers don't like it. Yes, yeah, or, yeah, because you never you don't need like a angry <laughs> sets of angry parents coming exactly. coming at you, and, and then they never invite you back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we wrap up here, what are you um what are you working on next? Any other projects that you can talk about? Well, yeah, um, so I'm I'm trying to write a book is you know as so often these things i've got a two book deal so i've now got to write the second book for okay. one world the publisher um and i had i heard a story years ago from a friend um who'd heard it from someone else um it was again set in in, in russia at the the so the soviet union collapsed and two teenagers teenage boys were asked to help transport a, a small herd of cattle from um, the north of russia to um the, the south uh, and and they were told it was to um for breeding stock mm. uh, and so they had to, and the only they were kind of you know 18 19 year olds adolescents really with no experience of this sort of thing mm. and so they had to learn how to do it and that's incredible adventure on trains and kind of herding these cattle so almost like a kind of western sort of story okay um or like a Cormac McCarthy kind of story uh, but when when they got to the far end it's a slight spoiler alert here it turns out that all the cattle were slaughtered for meat it wasn't for breeding stock at all. No, and so I've been trying to do a version of that story, but I, I switched horses for cattle, thinking there was okay. even more of an emotional impact with horses. Yeah, um, maybe. Yeah. So it's kind of like all the pretty horses, but in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's coming out very slowly, so I, I, I don't know. 
Okay. That's pretty well, too you much know, detail, wasn't it? <laughs> right. No, it's fine. No, I, I, I ask all authors just to like, you know, we want to help you promote your work. And it's also interesting to see what, you know, what you got on your plate now while you're yeah. talking to us about something that you just finished. So <laughs> yeah, it, it, you've had this. So basically I, I wrote much of this years ago, you know, I began it five yeah. years ago. So I'm trying now to remember. <laughs> so I had to jot down the names of the characters before I came yeah. on. Just in case I got them wrong. <laughs> No, I, I do that too. That's why like ahead of time I have like my notebook with my questions so that because I uh-huh. read, you know, probably at least depending on the length or depending how on how easy the book is to get through, I'll I'll read like one to two books a week. And a lot of a lot of the times I'm like interviewing the author. So I gotta like remember things that I want to talk about, that I want to ask about, and the characters' names are very important. <laughs> so <laughs> it no, trust me, I get it. I gotta keep things straight and and when you when you said goodbye, you're like, okay, I'm done with this. Yes. And then now you're like, oh crap, now I gotta promote it. Like you gotta like yeah, yeah, you gotta yeah. talk about it. So no, it's it's fine. So Anthony McGowan, Dogs of the Deadlands coming out September 13th. <clears throat> super enjoyable, super touching, um, you know, very, very interesting, a lot of fascinating, a fascinating take on something that obviously you know it, it, disaster but it was another look at that disaster very interesting i'm so glad i read it so glad that i had a chance to talk to you about it and i'll have to check out your your repertoire of, of published works because i think it would be just very interesting to see to this and then to kind of go back to your other works that you've already done even years before and to kind of compare that's very cool um but thank you so much oh do you have any like um social media that you or website that you want to plug real quick Oh, blimey. Well, I've got a really out of date website, like so many authors have. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I tweet too much. My, my big vice is, is Facebook. So I know it's okay. really, it shows my age. The kids don't care about Facebook. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, you fi- find me on, on Facebook. Most of my, um, my good ideas begin there. Okay. But can I say as well, this was re- really good fun. Uh, you're a brilliant interviewer. I, I really enjoyed oh, it. Oh, thank so, you. Thank you. Okay, that was Anthony McGowan talking about Dogs of the Deadlands. It comes out September 13th. Um, As always, you can find out links to purchase the book and to follow him on social media and his website and the show notes for this podcast episode. Um, As always, please do check us out on um, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, Nerd Cantina or Cantina Book Club. That's where you'll find the latest updates for author interviews and book reviews. So, you know, if you're ever looking for um, the next read, check us out and read my book reviews on the Nerd cantina.com and as always rate review subscribe all that good stuff you know as always thanks for listening <laughs>